Our scripture reader today is Brandy Gunn. Uh, she's going to be reading Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Uh, in honor of God's word, please remain standing. Listen as I read. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we uh, uh, have been in a series uh, that we just called our vision series, and um, we spent a little bit more time on our vision this year in order to flesh out some things that we think are important, to clarify some things, to offer some some thoughts about uh, how we're thinking about our, our next steps and what sits in front of us. And so uh, we've been working on this stuff uh, for almost the last year. Uh, our staff has been, several of you in this congregation have been part of uh, crafting and framing and thinking through some of these ideas. Uh, there's been a handful of uh, get-togethers on that front, but then there was also a survey uh, that, you, that you all uh, participated in back in this spring. And uh, my, the, the staff here, just such a, so grateful for them and the elders. Um, and so lots and lots of conversations and feedback uh, have, have gone into these, uh, these ideas that we've been talking about for the last few weeks and the ideas that we will share today as we kind of bring this series uh, to, its, uh, to its climax. And so I want to take some time here and walk back through some of what we have talked about. So every week we've been referencing some, some building blocks and uh, the reason why I think it's important to keep revisiting that is just a recognition that uh, the, the fruit, the, the actual mission and strategy that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, like it's, it's bubbling up out of something. It's, it's, it's all growing out of something. And the first building block uh, that we want to anchor ourselves in is the actual gospel news, what, what God has done. And we want to represent it every single week. Uh, The first few weeks of this series, I used a a little bit of a longer definition. Today, I want to use a little bit of a briefer definition. Uh, A a definition of the gospel is the gospel is the good news about God's work in and through Jesus to rescue the world, including you and me. And so this is this is this good news, and it's so it's so expansive. There's so many layers. There's so many things that we can peel back. Uh, I love the illustration that 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 the gospel is like a, a swimming pool that is so shallow anyone can get in it but it's so deep that no one can touch the bottom. And, and that's how we want to interact with this reality, this, this declaration, this, this whole story of the world in which God is at work uh, to make all things new. And so we want to explain it. We want to expand on our understanding of it. We want to dig into it uh, all the time. And this work that Jesus is doing, this rescue that he is providing, is a rescue from the judgment of sin into fellowship with God. Like that, that's, that's the, that, that, that's like part one. And it's amazing is that this, this Jesus has come to rescue us out of the judgment of sin into fellowship with God. And then it keeps getting better. There's actually a a promise that Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. And so this work that God is doing in and through Jesus to rescue the world. Yes, it involves your individual heart and it involves the entire world. Pretty phenomenal. And the Bible goes on to tell us that if we believe that, then it means that we are made alive that we are scooped up into the arms of the Father, that we are adopted uh, into the family, that we are forgiven and made right with God. It's a crazy, uh, crazy scandal that in spite of all of our sin, uh, God would welcome us into the family because Jesus changes places with us. Pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, the second building block that we looked at was that this gospel then gives us an identity. It's not an identity that we earn. It's not an identity that we work for. It's an identity that is given to us. And so we've been talking about it in five parts, and those five parts are worshiper, witness, family, uh, servant, and steward. Those five aspects of of, of walking with Jesus. And we we love talking about identity and this identity that's been given to us. Our our church's uh, logo, uh, one of the O's in the word sojourn, is a fingerprint. And the reason that's our logo is because we want to we rest in that identity. We want to lean into that identity, this recognition that Jesus has already made us these things. So, so now, yes, we get to live them out. We get to be worshipers. We, we get to live as worshipers. But Jesus is the one who made us worshipers. And so as we look at those identities, even though they're already true of us, they can almost function like a diagnostic. We, we can look at our life and say, how am I living as a, as a worshiper? How, how am I living as a servant? 
How is that showing up? How is that bubbling out of my life? Jesus has made me that. What what does it look like in in real time? Third building block is our values, how we behave. So the gospel is what God has done. Our identity is who we are, our values. How do we behave? And we said, you know, if you're thinking about priority or importance, boy, these are building. The gospel is most fundamental. And then the gospel turns us into these, these people that God is making with this identity. And then the next layer up would be our, our values. And so, we, you know, there's a lot of churches in, in Traverse City and Michigan and the state of, in, the, in, the, in the United States of America that, that hold to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and recognize this identity that has been given to any person who has run to Christ. Uh, but then when we get to the values, these are actually less important, uh, but they might be a little bit more uh, distinctive for our local church. And we identified four wholeness, dependence, generosity, and curiosity. And that, that sense of wholeness is just like living to see all things made new. This, this uh, Hebrew word shalom seems to be the best way to, to, to capture what we mean by wholeness. Shalom, peace, everything made right. We, we actually want to recognize that that's, you know, N.T. Wright calls this God's putting it right project, and we get to be part of it. We get to be part of, uh, we play a small part, but we get to play a part in putting the world right. And so we're after, we're after wholeness. We, we don't want parts. We don't want to think about things shallow. We, we, we want to we dig in and understand things and see them. You know, shalom means to be flourishing in every direction. That, that's a good picture of wholeness. Uh, dependence. We want to live aware of our need for God and our need for others. So there's a, 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 a dependence, a humility, a recognition that, that we, are, we, we need the God of heaven. We need him every single day. We, we need him to rescue us. We need him to carry us. And then we need people. We want to be in relationships where there's genuine love and engagement uh, and care. Third, generosity. Uh, we want to live as if it's actually better to, to give than to receive. <laughs> you know, that, we, we hear that phrase, but we want to live like it's actually true that it really is better to give than to receive. And then curiosity, just ready to ask questions, ready to listen to the answers, ready to grow uh, in, in, into the image of, of Jesus. That's curiosity is just a strong desire to know and to learn. And we want to foster that. We see it, we see it in, in, in certain ways here, and we want to see it uh, 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 fleshed out even more. Last week we said Jesus wants his followers to be explorers. Uh, to ask a lot of questions. Jesus asked 339 questions in the Gospels. Paul asked well over 200 questions in his letters. Uh, the Bible is full of question marks, tons and tons of them. And it's this, this sense of curiosity, this eagerness to know and to learn. And we want to do that. So today we get to mission and strategy, the, the final two pieces, why we exist and what we do. So we'll start with, uh, with our mission. Um, so let me, let me say this. Our, our values, uh, if you were here through that series, you know, we said our values are not aspirational. In other words, our values were an effort for us to dig around. One person said it's like a treasure hunt. That you, you look at your church and you say, what's here? How does this church live? How does this church behave? And you go and you, you find these, these beautiful realities that are, uh, that are here in part. Yet, yes, we want to see them fanned into flame. We want to see them grow and, 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 and expand. Uh, but they're, they're already here to a degree. And so our values aren't, aren't considered aspirational. But our mission is. Our, our mission is aspirational. Our, our mission is something where we're looking at it and saying, like, we want to see this. This is something we long for. We want to see it happen, and we want to see it happen in, in significant ways. This is why we exist. It's what we want to be about, and we want to do it with generosity and curiosity. We, we want to do it uh, with, with, you know, with full dependence upon Christ and his people. We want to do it with a, in a way that like, is eager for wholeness that we're not paring it down into something less than, but actually going for the, 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 whole, the whole thing, recognizing that God cares about every part of you. He cares about uh, what's happening to you. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your physical health. He cares about your finances. He, he cares about all of it. And so as we're on mission, we want these, these values that kind of season our church, we want to see them uh, season uh, this, this pursuit 
of, uh, of our mission. So our goal over these uh, last uh, months has been to craft what, what you might say is a, a compelling, memorable, and simple restating of Jesus' desire for his church that we could find in Matthew 28. So Jesus' last words recorded in the Gospel of Matthew um, are a recap. It's, it's Jesus retelling the, the, the heart of his teaching in one moment, in, in one sentence. And before Jesus ascends to the Father in, in Matthew 28, he, he looks at, he looks at his, his, his disciples, he looks at his people, and he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the whole world. I want you to take this message of the gospel to everybody. I want everybody to hear about it. And I want you to, to, to teach it to them. I want you to baptize them. And then I, I want you to show them how to live it out. Like, th- that's, that's the goal. I want you to go around the world, and I want you to, I want you to, to make followers of, of me. And, and we know that Jesus taught that you know, to love God and to love people are the greatest commandments. So it's this, it's this mission to follow Jesus. It's saturated in love. And on this last, these last sentences or last sentence that Jesus gives, he recaps all of that teaching when he gives us what is often referred to as the Great Commission. And I've said this before. Maybe you've heard other people say it before. But every church's mission should be some sort of uh, play off of those words. It's an effort to, to restate what Jesus is saying. It's plagiarism. We, we are taking Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and restating it. And so our mission, our heart, the heart here is to, is to retell that in a way that is compelling, memorable, and simple. The mission of every single church, every Christian is given by Jesus. The mission's already given. So what is our mission? You know, a better way to say this is, how do we want to state our mission? How, how do, what do we want to communicate uh, in, in, in the days ahead? And if you've been around here for a while, you know that we've had a couple mission statements. Uh, I've been here for 16 years, and I think this will be our fourth, fourth time that we've restated uh, the, the mission. The heart of the mission has never changed, uh, but there, there comes chapters and seasons where restating it uh, seems to be helpful for us uh, as a congregation. And so our, our mission language that we want to lean into in the next chapter ahead is that sojourn exists to help people follow Jesus, to help people follow Jesus. We think it's compelling. We think it's memorable. We think it's simple. It's four words. So we, we, we think that this, it's a restating of Jesus' desire for his church. When you drill into Matthew 28, what, what, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, go, go into the whole world and, and, and show people what it is to follow me. Show, show them what it is to follow me. And so that, that's our heart. Let me, let me quickly kind of tease out a few pieces of this. So Sojourn exists to help people follow Jesus. Sojourn. Sojourn is a local church, and we are made up. We often refer to ourselves as sojourners. And, and, and what is a sojourner? A sojourner is someone who is on a, in a short stay while they're on a journey. So it's this recognition. A sojourner is somebody who knows they're on a trip. They are a traveler. They, they, are, they are on the move. But a sojourner is like you've actually made a little pit stop. And so if someone came here to vacation for the summer, they might say, I'm sojourning in, 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 in Traverse City for the summer. They're, they're a traveler, but they're, they're, their location is Traverse City for a season of time. And the Bible indicates to us that the condition of the Christian is that this is, this is where we are. We're on this earth. We, we live in this certain space. But we recognize that this is not our home, that there's a, there's a better home coming that this is not the end of the journey, that God is at work in the world uh, to, to, to make us into something more and to actually remake this world into what it was supposed to be. And so Sojourn is a local church made up of sojourners, travelers on a journey. And as a church, we're motivated by Jesus' design. What, what does Jesus want his church to be and do? Well, help people. Everybody needs help here. Everybody needs help, including me and you. So, so this is not a mission that says, we're all set. Now let's go help the people that really need it. No, what, what we're saying is, is that Sojourn Church, the entity that is Sojourn Church that's made up of all of us, that entity exists to help people follow Jesus. Who are the people? Well, it, it's you, and it's you, and it's me, and it's our neighbor, and it's the people that live in our region. And so, so the heart here is that to help people follow Jesus, meaning I'm not doing it as well as I could be. You're not doing it as full as you could be. Your, your neighbor's not. Like, we want to be a place where we are helping 
people and helping people do it. I need help. You need help. Your neighbor needs help. You know, a few months ago, um, we did a survey, and one of the most notable responses, what, like we had a really uh, kind of a, a unique response to one of the questions, a couple of the questions, and they were questions that were in, related to this, like getting better at following Jesus and getting better at learning how to help other people follow Jesus. And so, so we're, we're leaning into this recognition that a lot of us are saying, man, we actually think that this is really important, but we might not be doing great at it. We, we might not know how to do it ourselves, and we might not know very well how to help someone else. And so we want to help people. And then the second phrase is to follow Jesus. You know, following Jesus is not a program to complete. It's, it's a way of life. If you think of following Jesus as a bucket, okay, so there's this bucket called, you know, we're going to help people follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who fills the bucket. What, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus has a lot of opinions about what it means to follow Jesus. In John chapter 1, when Jesus is first introduced, we looked at this passage last week, um, his, his, you know, his first statement to his followers is, what are you seeking? What are, what are you looking for? And then he has an interaction just a few verses later, and someone says, like, basically, what, what do you have to offer? And you know what Jesus' response is? Come and see. Come over here. I have an answer to that question. I have some thoughts for you. And then if you keep tracking the life of Jesus and his interaction with his disciples, he, he, he says to them, you, you know what following me looks like? It looks like you put your whole trust in me. It looks like you, 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 you uh, wave the white flag of surrender to your agenda. And you actually let, let me set the agenda. That you actually, you, you, you trust me with your whole life. That you obey me with everything you've got. You recognize that my way is not just some arbitrary set of standards to see if you're committed. It's actually the good life. And to follow Jesus is to trust him enough to take the steps that he calls you to take, to follow him, to trust him with your life and obey him with everything you got. There's an author named Trevin Wax, and he suggests that our whole life as followers of Jesus is an answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? He says the whole thing right there. The whole thing is an adventure in answering the question when Jesus looks at the, at the, at the people and he says, who do you say that I am? That, that's, that's what we're trying to figure out. Who does Jesus say that he is? And if that's true, what does that mean for right now? What does that mean for this decision? What does that mean for tomorrow? And I love that invitation from Jesus in John chapter one. Come and see. Come explore. Come take a look at this. Get curious. Check it out. See who he is. See what he has to say. Because he is our starting point, he's our guide, and he's our destination. You know, Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, these passages give us this grand picture of who Jesus is. Things like he is the climax of history, that Jesus is the climax of history. So yes, he's our starting point, and yes, he is our guide, but he's also the destination. He's the whole point. We, we don't want to do any of this and not get him. We want him. We want to be with him. We want to know him. And so this call to follow Jesus is letting Jesus determine what that means and then us actually committing to it. Our scripture reading that, that Brandy read just a, a minute ago, Mark chapter 3, just a couple of verses, real, real short passage today, in part because this is a, somewhat of a unique, uh, unique moment for us. Uh, but if you look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, so the, the, you know, the, the back story here is that Jesus' ministry is beginning to take off. He's done some healing. His healing has created a little bit of a stir. He's had some interactions with some different Jewish groups that are not liking uh, what Jesus is doing. And uh, there's an interesting uh, little interaction uh, earlier in chapter 3 where two groups of Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who don't like each other, all of a sudden start working together because they don't like Jesus. And it's this picture of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they, they, they start working together. So Jesus' ministry is starting to get some public traction. Um, and the religious leaders of the day aren't, aren't loving it too much. Uh, the second uh, text there, verses 7 through 12, uh, Jesus withdraws uh, with his disciples to the sea. Great cloud, crowd follows him. He ends up teaching this crowd. And then you get to our text. And that's when Jesus uh, gets away from the crowd. And when he gets away from the crowd, he goes up to the mountain and he calls to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. 
And so Jesus calls out to them. Jesus welcomes them. Jesus invites them. And there's so much we could say about that phrase uh, because what the rest of the New Testament tells us is that these are not the only 12 that he calls to himself. He's calling you to himself. He's calling me to himself. He's called millions and millions of people to himself. And he has said, come and see. Do, 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 you know, do you know what I have to offer? And so it's this beautiful invitation from Jesus. But then look at verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. And that he might send them out. There's a commentator named James Edwards who wrote a great commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And he says that the phrase, to be with him, to be with Jesus... This is what James Edwards says. He says it has atomic significance. Atomic significance. That what Jesus' invitation is, is to be in, in relationship, to be in communion. You see, discipleship, following Jesus, is a relationship before it's a task. It's, 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 it's relational. Most fundamentally, our life with Jesus is a relationship. And if your interaction with Jesus is just Jesus, tell me what to do. If yours is just, you know, Jesus, just be a model for me. Just be an example to me. You, you, you are missing the first movement of interaction with Jesus. And the first movement of interaction with Jesus is to be with him. It's actually to be relationally engaged with this Jesus. And then he says, and that he might send them out. And so there's, there's this, 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 you know, we are most ready to be sent when we have robustly been with Jesus. That, that's what Jesus is, is, is displaying here. I, I mean, you become like the people that you spend the most time with. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? It, it's not hard to observe. You become like the people you spend the most time with. And Jesus is demonstrating to us that he, he needs to be the number one person that we're spending time with. And God in his grace gives us his people. And there's a way in which we, we commune with Jesus when we gather with Jesus' people. And so in, in, in this moment in time, as we gather with Jesus alone, and as we gather with Jesus and his people, the, these begin to be the shaping forces of our life. And I know I've said it before, but man, if you think Sunday morning is sufficient, if you think that coming here for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, or an hour and 30 minutes, however long I preach, if, 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 if you think that this is sufficient, it's not even close. It's not even close. There's 168 hours in the week, and Jesus is calling us to, to be with him. I want you to see, you know, I want to be clear here, it's a rhythm. Do you, do you see the rhythm? With and sent. With and sent. With and sent. Think of breathing in and breathing out. Think of gathering and scattering. There's this beautiful rhythm to our, to our life with Jesus. It doesn't mean that when we're sent or when we're scattered that we're not with Jesus. It's just there's this sense of, of the more intentional focus time of, of being with Jesus where nothing else is distracting you, where it's, 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 you are intentionally trying to be with Jesus or you're intentionally trying to be with Jesus and his people. And then there's times where you're, you're more scattered, you're more sent, it's a rhythm. It's breathing in and breathing out, and they both matter. So it's a rhythm, but I want you to see the order. Mission flows most fully from our intimacy with Jesus and with Jesus' people. The order is with, then sent. Mission flows from communion. Mission flows from relationship. Following Jesus is not a program to complete. It's a way of life. Let me just say this to be clear. This is not something that our elders do alone. This is not something that our staff does alone. This will work to the degree that it's a group project. This will work to the degree that we as a church family recognize that this is Jesus' invitation to us, is to actually follow him and to have an eye towards helping others do it too. So we are sojourners helping people follow Jesus. I mean, don't you want to see that happen? You know, obviously, I've had the benefit of sitting with this for, for weeks and weeks now. And, and it, it, I got to tell you, just a few months into it, it's, it's aging well. I find myself thinking, man, what, what, if this, I mean, what if this happened? 
What if our church became known as a place where it's like you can go there and find help to follow Jesus? Like if you're, if you're at the most front end beginner stage there is, or if you're on the like expertise end, like th- there's spaces for you to be helped in following Jesus. Th- there's, there's, there's help here to follow Jesus. It seems like an incredibly beautiful thing. I want this church to do it. I, 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 want, I want this church to help people. I want this church to help me. I want, you to, I want this church to help you, and I want you to help other people. We want to do this, but we definitely need your help. So if our mission is why we exist, and that's actually given by Jesus, what about our strategy? You know, our strategy is, is what we do. Our strategy, our mission is given by Jesus. Our strategy is not. Our, our strategy, just to be as honest as possible, it's our attempt to pursue the mission in really tangible ways in this moment. What does it look like today? What does it look like in the year 2022? What does it look like in the year 2023? Your strategy is changing all the time. Your, your strategy is something where it's like, you gotta, you gotta read the moment. You, you, gotta, you gotta understand who God is and what he's called us to, and then how do you apply it in this world, at this time, in this moment? So our strategy is our best shot at trying to help people follow Jesus right now in this culture as it is. So here's how we've worded our strategy. Our strategy is to offer a pathway to explore and respond to the gospel in a variety of contexts. So just again, quickly through this phrase, pathway, you know this, Jesus says, I am the way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. Really early on, in, right in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, chapter 19, chapter 22, chapter 24, Christianity is actually called the way. That's how it's referred to. It's actually, it's not called Christianity, it's called the way. Oh, you're part of the way? <laughs> like that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And then people are like, well, I'm all in. I'm going to follow him. I'm on the way. That's what I'm doing. And so we think this word pathway helps. Uh, the phrase walking with Jesus, maybe that feels like Christianese, but you can totally understand why that phrase has gotten traction. We are walking with Jesus. It's, it's a pathway. It's a way. It, it's, it's, it's movement. It's a journey. And we're invited into it. So we want to follow Jesus on his path. So as a church, we're trying to design our church life in a way that offers something along these lines, a pathway for us to grow more like Jesus. Maybe you could say it's like a map of walking with Jesus. Now, maybe you notice on the, the background of this, uh, the slides behind me, and it's been the case throughout this whole sermon series, that the background is like a topographical map. And uh, we've been using that background on purpose. I haven't pointed, out at all, it, I haven't pointed it out at all yet. Uh, but part of what we're just trying to even subliminally indicate here is that th- th- this is the sense of, of walking with Jesus. It's, it's exploration. It, it's a journey. There's all kinds of peaks and valleys. There's all kinds of high points and, and beautiful vistas to, to look at who, who Jesus is, to look at what God's done in the world. I mean, if you think of something like the Trinity, you know, when I look at this topographical background, and I see some of the, you know, some of these things kind of indicate high points on a map. It's like, I think of some of those high points as like, that's the Trinity. Man, like, let's, 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 go, let's go climb up there and gaze at the Trinity together. And some of these other moments might be more experiences where you're in the valley and you're in the darkness and you're struggling to, to understand who God is. And it's like, we, we go into the valley together and we do it uh, with, with each other. And we're willing to explore and then respond to who God is, to what this world is that he's put us in, to the nature of relationships and other human beings, that this is, this is, the, in, this is the joy of walking this path uh, of, of, uh, and then exploring and responding. As we look around, as we see what we see, we, we want to ask a million questions. We want to be explorers. But then you know what else we want to do? We want to respond to it. We want to explore and respond. You know, in the book of James, there's a passage that's been a little bit controversial over the course of church history, but it's, it's James talking about how essential faith and works are. That you, you say you believe something, you know what the most tangible evidence that that's true? Because you know what? We're self-deceivers. 
So you say you believe something. How do you know if you believe that? James says, I'll tell you, you can find out how you, how, how you know if you believe it. Something will grow from it. If that's real faith, something grows from it. And what grows from it, what's easy to track, it are works. It's fruit. Does fruit make the tree alive? No way. But does a, does a tree that's alive produce fruit? Yes, that's James's point. If it's real faith, it produces something. Something comes from it. And so as people, we want, in, uh, the people of Jesus, we want integration between what we actually say we believe and what we do. You know, you know the, word, the word integrity, it means integrated. That, that's what it means. It means that it all fits right. And so if you're somebody who is all about love, but you don't, you don't, you don't care about truth, you're not an integrated person. If you're a person who just cares about truth, but you don't care about love, you're not an integrated person. You don't have integrity. There's not alignment between what you say and what you do. And so as, as the people of Jesus, like we want to explore, we want to ask a million questions. But as we find some of those answers, we want to respond to that. And we actually want lives that look that way and demonstrate the fact that what we believe, we actually live out. Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, about a year ago, I, I, I heard a guy say, man, think about the culture we're in. The bar is so low to represent Jesus. Like, just be kind. Just be kind and you'll be so weird. You'll, you'll stand out. It's, it's actually, a, 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 in that sense, it's an easy moment. But that integration, that, that exploring and responding to where what we say we believe, we actually live out. So to offer a pathway to explore and respond to the gospel, we talked about that, this good news that we think is worth a lifetime of exploring and responding to. And then that phrase, a variety of contexts. And so again, if you were to take this topographical map and just imagine with me that that is the experiences of your life, it's the truth of the Bible, it's the character of God, it's, it's, it's all, of, all of these things, the scriptures, all of these things. And here you are, and you're somewhere on that map. And there's an invitation to go explore it. And we want to provide a variety of contexts to do that. To stick with our little traveler motif, you know, this could almost be like going on a hike with different groups of people. And so as we talk about our strategy, that's how we're thinking about it. To create various contexts by which you get to explore this world, these scriptures, the, these gifts that God has given to us so that we can actually see them from different angles. So that we can actually experience them in different ways. So as we thought about our strategy, um, we uh, had more and edited it down and added more back in and edited it down um, because obviously we cannot do everything. So we've tried to identify maybe what you would say is our biggest bang for the buck. And let me quickly show you uh, the four and the only four contexts that we are trying to lean into. So again, our mission is given by Jesus. Our strategy is our attempt to effectively pursue the mission in this cultural moment. And here they are, gatherings. So th these are, think of larger contexts. That's going to be primarily this here, su Sunday morning worship. And as we think about Sunday morning worship and we think about the chapter in front of us, we want to keep leaning into uh, this, this desire, this goal to have Jesus shape our services. And, and we use uh, something called uh, just liturgy. And that just means, it means the work of the people, but our liturgy is a shape. It's the shape of our service. And so over the course of the, shape of, the, of, the, of the service, we're trying to invite you into this whole story of what God's doing in the world. In, in, in Exodus, we, we have this little uh, sequence of events where the people are called to gather, and then they go through this season of confession, and then Moses goes and receives the word of the Lord, he shares the word of the Lord, and then they have a meal. Now, think about that rhythm. Called together, confessing their sins, receiving the word of the Lord, and then eating together. Like, that's what we're doing here. The first part of our service is called the call to worship. And then we move into a time of confession. And then we receive the word from the Lord. And then we try to make sense of it. That's what I'm trying to do when I stand up here most weeks. And then we, we, we have a meal. We share the bread and the cup. That, that's the rhythm to our service. And we want that to be saturated with the scriptures. And we want it to be saturated with Jesus. 
We, we've, uh, we're, we're getting ready in January to start a series in the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I can't wait. I love being in books of the Bible. I love being in spaces where it's like, we're going to deal with this paragraph this week and the next paragraph next week. And we're going to take our time walking through a book of the Bible and letting Matthew and, and the Gospel of Matthew s- just soak in our bones. And we want to do that together. We, we actually think that our services can be more saturated with the word of the Lord, with more, more with scripture, more with God's good design. And under this category are special services, our liturgical calendar, things like um, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, Christmas Eve, things like that, and our prayer nights, the prayer nights that we gather here, usually on Wednesdays, and then our parties. We just talked about our deacon of events, Emily, who just joined, joined in that role, and, uh, and we want to have times where we gather for celebration. So first gathering, second groups. And these are smaller contexts. These are places where you are known and loved, where when you're not there, you are missed. You can come or not come on a Sunday, and people might know or might not know. It's hard. But when you miss your group, people know. And this is going to primarily be our community groups, at least for this next season of time, uh, where we lean into this context of of being known and loved uh, in smaller groups uh, outside of uh, outside of this larger setting of, of Sunday morning worship uh, to where we're, we're together. Uh, Sojourn students and learning groups would also fall under that, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Third, serving. Uh, this is one of our identities, that we are servants, uh, and it is, uh, boy, it's a beautiful context uh, to let all of our values like kind of season our actions. I, when I think about serving and I think about our values, what a, what a beautiful way for them to be on display. Um, it's where we offer, you know, serving is where we offer our resources, our time, our relationships, our money uh, to, to others. Um, so quick side note, you know, COVID literally destroyed the majority of our serving rhythms. And uh, now our, uh, our world is facing a volunteer crisis. It's not just Sojourn Church. Uh, the vast majority of churches are really struggling with volunteers. Public schools are struggling with volunteers. Like it, everybody's struggling with volunteers. And so you put those things together and it seems like trying to reclaim everything that we were doing before COVID all at once uh, is maybe not the best idea. So here's what we're going to try to do for the next year. Sojourn City and World are the three areas. And first, I want to introduce this to you. In regard to Sojourn, I I want to invite you, I want to ask you as a church family to think about Sojourn Kids plus one. So you're reading that right. What the, what, the, what the invitation is, is that every person in our church actually looks at the incredible opportunity that we have to pour into young lives so they actually get to know who Jesus is. And the more we do this together, the less we burn other people out, the more we all get to participate in, in gathered worship upstairs. But if we share the load, this works. And so the, 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 the invitation here is crystal clear. Everybody's serving in Sojourn Kids. And then plus one. Be a scripture reader, serve communion, serve on the maintenance team, serve on the hospitality team. There are a lot of options and a lot of ways uh, for you to be able to serve. And we're going to send an an email out uh, this week with a a little place where you can uh, respond and sign up to to serve. In our city, we have two organized ideas that we're going to put in front of you. Number one is a thing called Kids Hope. Kids Hope is where we send mentors from our church into Silver Lake Elementary School, which is our partner school. And it's one adult for one hour, once a week with one kid. I've done it for years and years, and it's such a gift uh, to find a time that works for the little kiddo that you get assigned to. And uh, and so we are restarting our relationship with Silver Lake Elementary. And then the second uh, aspect of serving our city is that we have our uh, Safe Harbor Week, which is in February. And you'll be hearing more about these down the road. But for now, those are the two places that we want to, as a congregation, lean, lean into. Now, if you look at this and say, I got margin. I want to do more. Oh, good. I got, okay, so uh, we, we have a handful of community partners that we have benefited from and served with and that we love. And in the past, some of our relationships have been more robust. Uh, right now, we, we don't think we have the margin for that. But if you do, there are places like Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor, yes, we have our week, but Safe Harbor needs volunteers all the time. Single mom. Thrive, Generations Ahead, Young Life. 
There, there are ministries all over our city uh, that are, they're, they're, a lot of them are facing the same volunteer crisis. So if you have margin, man, man, go for it. We want to encourage you. And, and we love decentralized serving. And so we, we don't want to manage all of it. We want to see you uh, use your gifts and your time. And then in regard to our world, uh, Christ Hope International. It's a ministry that we support. Uh, their executive director, Dave Case, goes to our church. Um, many of you support and sponsor kids already. Uh, but next Sunday, we're going to be hearing a little bit more about Christ, uh, Christ Hope International uh, and uh, some opportunities to get involved uh, with a trip uh, to the Congo uh, next summer and uh, su- uh, sponsoring young kids. And then last but not least, our fourth piece to our uh, strategy is Sojourn in the Wild. Now, you may have heard whispers of Sojourn in the Wild, and those whispers are true. <laughs> um, so this is, this is obviously something new. Uh, bought the URL, sojourninthewild.com, in August of 2021. So this idea has been percolating for, for, for a while. Uh, we did, weren't able to get it off the ground in 2022, but we do hope to offer it uh, in, in 2023. And, and Sojourn in the Wild, they, they, this is uh, maybe the way to communicate it would be. These are expeditions or, or adventures that recharge our souls. So these are going to be mainly outdoor, uh, outdoor adventures, outdoor expeditions, um, where we see the beauty of the world that God's created. Uh, so they recharge our souls. They challenge our bodies. They are going to be expeditions. They are going to be adventures. There's, you know, we'll try to rate them and give you a sense of like, this one's going to be really hard. Maybe you should only do this if you're ready to train. But we're, we're going to give a sense of, of how difficult they are. But they will challenge our bodies um, and then deepen our friendships. Uh, with God and with, with others. Um, honestly, one of the reasons why Sojourn in the Wild came to life uh, was because um, I, uh, in 2021, I, I, I started experiencing this a little bit on my own, but I also started to notice a, a, an uptick in, in articles and comments about loneliness. And you know, that was a problem before COVID, but I think COVID sped that up. And there's, there's more loneliness. There, there's more people who are looking for friends and not quite sure uh, how to engage. And then The Atlantic uh, had an article on loneliness, and they referenced a work by a professor from the University of Kansas. And this professor in Kansas, he, he said that he, he had done all this research on friendship, and this is what he said, that it takes 200 hours to make a good friend. And he said, ideally, it's done in eight weeks. And so he says, now think about your life in college. That's really doable. Have you ever wondered why so many people, their lifelong friends are from college? What well, one of the reasons is because the intensity of proximity is so significant. But then you, then you get in your 40s, and you have a job, and you have other commitments in your life. And the idea of like finding 200 hours to hang out with somebody, like, good luck. And so Sojourn in the Wild became this question of like, how can we help our church get to 200 hours? Now, Sojourn in the Wild aren't going to be 200-hour trips. That would be like a nine-day trip. They're not going to be a 200-hour trip, but, but they're gonna, we want to make a dent. We want to try to create a space where it's like you can spend intentional time with some people, and we've, I've experienced it in my life, and some of you have too. You, you go on, on, on camping trips or on uh, kayaking trips or what, whatever. You, you go on these various things, and you come back, and you know those people. In, like, it's shocking the kind of depth that can happen in relationships in those kinds of settings. And so when we hired Dave Ballard as our Sojourn Students Director, part of his job description is Sojourn in the Wild. And uh, pray for us. We are, we are really hopeful to see Sojourn in the Wild launch uh, in 2023. The trips won't be free. Um, we, we think that they have an incredible potential, but, but they, they will cost money to do them well. One, one thing to pray about is we would love to see a scholarship fund for people who are far from God, for, for people who, who don't know who Jesus is or are not connected to a local church, and maybe figuring out a way to reduce the cost a little bit so that they get exposed to gospel-rich community and to, to the character and person of God. Um, so th- those are the four parts, gatherings, groups, uh, serving, and sojourn in the wild. Now, let me just say, what about sojourn kids and what about sojourn students? Well, it's the same strategy. It's the exact same strategy. We want our sojourn kids ministry to look at these four things and ask the questions of what would it look like for them to value and prioritize those things with the elementary and below in our church. And then we look at sojourn students, we look at this and say, guess what? Once you get into sixth grade, 
What do you think the gathering is that we want the Sojourn students to be at? This one, integration. We, we, want, we want teenagers in this service. This is the gathering for teenagers. We're not trying to run teenage church at youth group. We, we want the gathering that the teenagers go to to be here, to be with us, so that when they turn 18 and 19, they don't have a terrible grinding of the gears to figure out what, you know, quote-unquote, big church is. We want them to live it out with us right now. Their, their group is basically Wednesday night. That on Wednesday nights, it's a context that's smaller where they're known and where they're loved. When they serve, we invite them to serve with our whole church, to, to join us in the serving that we do. And then the Sojourn, Sojourn students might, might find some of their own service projects, or Sojourn kids might find some of their own service projects. And then Sojourn in the Wild, uh, for teenagers, that's one thing. For kids, that'll be a little different. It might be like hiking in the woods back here, but just the same kind of a thing. What does it look like uh, to expand and deepen relationships by getting outside, especially in light of where, where we live? So when you think about this strategy, look, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. There was a lot more things on the list, and we carved it down a couple different times. Um, Steve Jobs, you know, he, he, he started Apple and then left Apple. And then when he came back to Apple, Apple was kind of a mess. And he's like laying out what the future of Apple looks like. And one of the people at, at these Q&As, one of the people said, but we got to be different. You know, we got to be unique. And Steve Jobs' response was, we don't need to be different. We need to be better. And I think as we have, uh, as a church and as a staff and as, as the leadership, as we've looked at our church, there's been a lot of sentiment right there. It, it, this isn't like, are we unique in the world? The question is, is are we doing better at actually helping people follow Jesus? Are, are the programs and the, and, the, and the opportunities that we provide, are they actually resulting in helping people follow Jesus? And so we want to do it. And we, we, as, a, as a staff, as leaders, you know, we want to commit to making these four areas as accessible as possible, making them as effective as possible. Uh, we're committed to like revisiting systems in our church, systems like communication and first impressions and assimilation, and like actually recognizing that those are kind of like the systems of the human body, that if, if they don't work, it, it, everything gets harder. And so we want to revisit how our church functions at its, at its most basic levels. And then we're committed to asking on a regular basis, how well does this ministry actually help people follow Jesus? And we're not afraid to change our strategy. The strategy isn't given by Jesus. Our strategy is our effort to implement the mission. And so if it's working, sweet. If it's not working, we'll try to fix it. If we can't fix it, we're going to change. And we're going to find new avenues and other ways to invite you into following Jesus. But for this next season, this is where we're putting our time uh, and our energy now, as we uh, leave here in just a minute, there's two products that I want to give you as, as you leave. Uh, and, and the first one, uh, kind of sticking with our motif here, is like a little pocket map. And so this summer, we were getting ready to go to Montana, and we, need, we were looking for a map. And I'm like, we need to make a map for our church. And so we did. And it's uh, not a map map, but um, every one of you will get one of these, and it folds out and has uh, content kind of inviting you into what the next chapter for our church looks like, and those will be at the doors as you go out. And the second one is just a real little thing, a little trinket that we just hope is a trigger, but it's a, it's a compass. And it's not the kind of compass that you're going to leave to your grandkids, trust me. But it, 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 it is a compass, and on the back it says, follow Jesus. And our invitation is put it on your keychain or hang it in your car and just let it be a reminder. I mean, th think about this. Think about this for yourself or people that you love in your life. What if at every intersection tomorrow or today, at every intersection, every decision you had to make, your first question was, what would following Jesus look like right now? I mean, can you imagine? What, what would your life look like if that's what you did? Every time you're facing a decision, you say, what would following Jesus look like right now? That, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that, that that kind of thinking is fostered uh, in, in every one of us. So you'll get those on, on, on your way out. But today is not the finish line. I, I know you know that. Today is not the finish line. Today is the start line, or maybe you could say the restart line. Uh, we want to be getting stronger as we go. We, we want to see these things that can, that can scale and get stronger so that our groups are, are growing stronger. And as we get bigger, we're not getting more fragile. As we get bigger, we're getting stronger, and we can uh, minister to more people more effectively. And so our prayer is that this all results in what you might just call revival. 
And if you're uncomfortable with the word revival, I get it. I grew up going to, going to like week-long revivals of like seven-night meetings and lots and lots of drama and not a whole lot of, of impact. But I think a good way to think about revival, and we'll wrap up with this, is that when genuine gospel-rich revival is happening, here's what you start to see. You start to see sleepy Christians waking up. You start to see Christians who, who love Jesus, who've given their life to Jesus, but whose priorities have just gotten out of whack. And they just start waking up to the fact that this is actually the mission of the world. That God, Jesus is, I mean, God's putting it right project. Like That's the best thing we could ever be part of. And we get to do it with our time and with our money and with our relationships. So we see sleepy Christians wake up. Secondly, we see nominal Christians actually come to faith for the first time. Do you know how many people in our culture think that they know the message of Jesus? Do you know how many people in our culture could like kind of give you some sort of a John 3.16? But the pennies never dropped. They've never actually given up their agenda and trusted Jesus. They've never actually recognized that you've got to wave the white flag and surrender. You've got to actually let him save you. And so this, this, this cultural Christianity or this nominal Christianity, actually people come to faith for the first time. And then third, hardened cynics actually take a second look. They actually are, 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 are they're caught off guard when they see the beauty and the truth and the goodness of the gospel on display from his people. So when we talk about revival, that's what we're talking about. Sleepy Christians waking up, nominal Christians coming to faith for the first time, and hardened cynics taking a second look. Maybe, maybe I wasn't right about that Christianity stuff. Maybe I didn't understand who Jesus was. Maybe my objections weren't so legitimate. And I want to be part of a church that's doing that kind of a thing well. We want to create on-ramps to people in various places, in various contexts, and we need your help. We each need to increase our passion for Jesus by following him with everything we got. And we are eager to see that be the, the future for our church. So will, will, will you join us? As we come to the table, I just want to invite you back to those three categories. Sleepy Christian, nominal Christian, or hardened cynic. As you consider coming up here for the table, if, if, you've, if you've trusted Jesus as your, as your Lord, man, we invite you to run up to this table. But as you do that, would you be willing to consider to what degree you would, you would rate yourself as sleepy? What do, you, what do your priorities look like? Do you, do you recognize you're invited into the adventure of a lifetime? The best news in the whole wide world and you get to be part of it? Maybe you're here and you're like, I might be in that category. I think I know some facts about Jesus, but I've never actually given him my life. Well, there's some prayers in the bulletin and on the screen that will help you with some language on what it is to actually put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And if you're here today and maybe you got drug here by somebody and you would consider yourself a hardened cynic, I just want you to hear us say that we we, we want the proof to be in the pudding. Uh, We we actually, we want to to have integrated lives where we actually are, are, are displaying how good and beautiful Jesus is. And we think that there's a lot of work for us to do. There's a lot of progress that we need to make but we are eager for you to see a beautiful Jesus and for us to live in light of a beautiful Jesus. If our servers will please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, invitation that you've given us uh, to go into all the world and make disciples, to go into the whole world and tell people who you are and invite them to trust you. Or another way to say that is follow you, follow Jesus. And God, we, we want to help people do that. I want to do it better. I know that many hearts in this room are saying the same thing right now. So God, would you form us into Jesus' image? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us soft hearts? Would you help us find best places for us to jump in and see this mission unfold in Traverse City and around the world? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.